there are not often aspects of a language that are completely unique to it. Most of the time, you will find another language that shares this feature in some way or other. But German seems to have something that no other known language has. If you've seen written German before, you will have seen the SZ, also known as the Schaffer's S, the letter you find in words like Straße or Weiss, that sort of looks like a capital B. What is this letter? How did German come to develop a new letter that can't be found in any other language? That's what we're talking about today. And just a pre-warning, there are going to be some descriptions of letters and combinations of letters that might be hard to picture, but you can go online to the podcast website for the transcript and for some images of the letters we're going to be talking about. So without further ado, let's crack on with the show. This is Yellow of the Egg, the podcast where we look at the German language and just ask, why? I'm Luke Green and this is episode 6, SZ. letter is called SZ in most parts of Germany, but also there are many different names, like in the south of Germany or in Austria, it's called Sharp S. Then there are names like Rucksack S or an S that looks like a three or a humped S. You might recognize this voice from an earlier episode in this series. This is Frauke Rüderbusch from the Gesellschaft für Deutsche Sprache. She was one of the guests in episode 2 about the effect of the coronavirus pandemic on the German language. In her role as a research associate for the Gesellschaft für Deutsche Sprache, she has also done work looking into the SZ and its various names and theories regarding its origin. It's a letter that represents the speech sound S, a sharp S, as the name says. The name SZ is a little uh, misleading, actually, because there is no letter combination in German, in German words, in original German words, which have SZ. It's only foreign words that have that. But still, as we will see, it originated from a combination of SZ. So actually, this SZ is not only one letter, but it's actually two. Among the many names for this letter, two seem to be more prevalent. SZ and Schaffer's S. These names provide clues as to the history of the letter, which is far from straightforward. The name Schaffer's S, so sharp S, has its origins in the antiquotype face, which is a style of writing where the letters are more smooth and rounded, and they tend to flow. These are the letters that we might know today as Latin letters. In this antiquotype face, there used to be not one, but two versions of the letter S. In addition to the rounded S that we know and use today, it had another form of an S, which is called the long S. And, well, this long S, it looks like an F, uh, a lowercase F without the crossbar. Or if you picture a walking stick or a candy cane, this is what the long S resembled a little bit. The long S and the round S are generally pronounced in the same way but you would use one or the other in writing, depending on where the S appeared in the word. 
This long S was used at the onset of a syllable and within a syllable, whereas the round S, it was used only at the coda of a word or of a syllable. So uh, when you had a word like Anschluss, which is uh, realized with two S at the end, you have an S within the syllable, which has to be a long S, and you have an S at the end of the syllable, which has to be a round S. This is where it starts getting interesting, where you have a long S and a round S next to each other, like at the end of the word Anschluss. If you put these two together, and they, they come very close, it looks like an S set. So this double S was realized as two letters, a long S and a round S, but ultimately when the, the printing with the letterpress has been invented, they were put on one sort or one type and they, were, they became a ligature actually. So this ligature, which is actually two letters so close together that they look like one, they ultimately became one letter, which was the sharp S. You can see similar things happening to letters in lots of languages, where two letters become one. In French, you can see the combination of O and E to make a single ligature. A famous and very common example of a ligature as used in English is the ampersand, which originates from the Latin word et, E-T, meaning and. The symbol was originally a combination of the letters E and T, although you can't really see this nowadays. The same thing applies to this theory of the sharpest S. But why is it specifically called a sharp S? Well, whenever you pronounce a word with a double S, this double S is always pronounced in a sharp way, like S, never Z. So because of this, Whenever you see this special letter, because it stands for a double S according to this theory, it's pronounced like a sharp S. But of course, this is only one theory of the origin of this letter. The second main theory relates to its other name, SZ. The name SZ, as it says, <laughs> it derives from two letters which were S and Z. And these letters, oh, this letter actually has its origin very, very early in uh, language history. I have to go back to the high German consonant shift in the sixth to the eighth century, because back then the T, the letter T, became a Z and a ZZ. The high German consonant shift was a very systematic change where a number of consonant sounds were changed in the southern German dialects. For instance, the sound p shifted in many contexts to either f or pf, which is why we have the modern German word schiff, but because Old English didn't undergo this shift, we still have ship. Or we have the modern German word apfel, with pf that corresponds to the English apple. Similarly, the t underwent a shift, in some contexts to a single z, and in others to a double z. So it actually shifted from one letter to two, to different ones, because the Z and the double Z were realized differently as speech sounds. The one actually was more like an affricate and the other one was more like a sharp S. So I think it was in the 12th century that these two letters were, well, they, they went different ways. <laughs> So that was actually when the unvoiced fricative S, S, or 
SZZ <laughs> went from the ZZ to SZ as a sharp S sound. Uh, this S. And in the 12th or in the 13th century, it was when we have the very first piece of evidence of an SZ. So that should technically mean that we have German words that contain a sequence of SZ. Where can we find an SZ in German? Nowhere, actually. There's no German word which has an SZ in it. But if you look back to the times not that long ago when uh, we had the German Gothic script, I think it was in the 1940s that books weren't printed in Gothic script anymore. But before that, we had the German Gothic script. The German Gothic script was another typeface or handwriting style. Where the lines appear to be broken and feature many angles, they aren't as smooth and flowy as with the Antiqua typeface. This is why it's called Fraktur in German. And this S set was realized as a long S and a tailed Z. So if you put these two together, like a ligature, like in the Antiqua script, you have a long S and a tailed Z. And if you look at the fractured the Gothic as that it really looks like these two letters. And this ligature eventually became the letter SZ. And then in the 1940s, when the Gothic script wasn't printed anymore, it was decided that these two letters, which actually was an SZ in Gothic script and an SS in Antiqua, became one letter SZ or sharp S. It might sound like there are two conflicting histories, one where this letter derives from a long S and a round S in the Antiqua typeface, and one where we have a long S and a tailed Z in the Fraktur Gothic typeface. Which one is the correct history of the letter? It's more like they run parallel to each other because we had Latin texts which were printed or written in Antiqua. And we had the German texts, which were written in Gothic script or which were printed in Gothic script. So actually, it was a parallel development. These aren't the only theories that exist regarding the SZ, though. So there's a third theory, actually, but um, that's not very common. And that says that this SZ used to be an abbreviation for a little subscript 3 in Latin texts. But uh, personally, I don't think that's very possible. So we can assume that the two theories are correct that correspond with the two most widespread names for the letter, the SZ and the Schafes S. As we heard at the start of the episode, though, there are other names for the letter too. There's the Buckel S, which translates roughly as the Hunchback S. There's the Dreieles S, which is a sort of three-like S, or an S that looks like a three. There's the Rucksack S, the Rucksack S. These are definitely less standard ways of referring to the letter, but they have their advantages. Yeah, no, they, they do focus on the shape, and I think they are mostly names which are used by um, pupils in primary school because they imitate the form of the letter and maybe also for pupils in Germany it's not very easy to learn this letter and the rules where you use it. Actually, um, in my opinion, these names that you use, SZ and sharp S, they are not very clear about which letters you actually use if you use an SZ as you would use in the word discipline 
it's not a German word, but these letters are in there, not as an S, Z, but S, S, and Z. <laughs> and to be clear about it, that it's not an S and a Z, I think it's easier if you say rucksack S, for example. And if you say sharp S, I, um, well, I grew up with S, Z, so S, Z is for me the letter. Um, if I hear sharp S, Still today, I'm not very sure if I should write SS or SZ. <laughs> so um, these colloquial names for it, they are more clear. The lack of one definitive name for this letter further highlights its special status as an extraordinary symbol. And this letter is special in more ways than one. For example, it's one of the few letters that you can freely substitute with other letters if needed. If you don't have access to the symbol, for instance on a keyboard, you can use two S's instead. If you take the word Weiss, meaning white, you usually spell it W-E-I, sharp as S. But you can also spell it as W-E-I-S-S if you can't use the sharp as S. This is especially useful when writing words in capital letters, because before not too long ago, the sharp as S didn't even have its own capital letter. It was only, it was really, it was only invented in 2017. <laughs> there was not a capital S that before that because there was simply no need for it. There's no word, absolutely no word beginning with an S set. So um, there was no demand to, to write a capital S set. This capital S set looks fairly similar to a lowercase S set but just a little fatter and more like a capital B, which could arguably make it easy to confuse. Before the introduction of the capital S set in 2017, words that were written in all uppercase couldn't contain the S set at all and still be considered correct. Instead, they would be written with two S's. You can often see this on signs or when you're on public transport and the station appears in capital letters on the screens, Straße is usually written with two S's. It's actually quite an easy solution, but it doesn't come without its problems. For instance, there are examples of pairs of words that are spelled the same, but where one word contains a Schaffer's S and the other word contains a double S, and they have different meanings. If you write the words in capital letters, you would no longer be able to tell the words apart. Like in words as Masse, which is written with a double S because it's a, it's a short vowel. But if you write it in capital letters, um, you would have a double S, whether it's Masse or Masse, <laughs> which is a completely different word. The difference is in the, uh, in the length of the vowel. So you would only see this difference in uh, lowercase letters and not in capital letters. I think the context would make clear which word is meant. <laughs> but still, if it's uh, names of people, it might be a problem if a name like Groß or Großmann is written in capital letters, it has a double S. So it could be Grossmann or it could be Großmann. Who would know if it's not written in lowercase letters? But now we have a capital S set and we don't have to replace the S set with these S's in uppercase anymore. This saves space, and it avoids ambiguity. This is something that will definitely have caught on, right? Um, no, not at all. <laughs> I don't think 
everyone knows about the capital asset and it's not on the keyboard, which is an important fact <laughs> for, the, for these times. And then it looks like a bee. I don't think it will have a great career. And then there's these, these people who call me and ask, should I use the capital asset or should I use a double, a double S in, if I use caps? And actually I say, well, if you don't confuse it with a B, if the context is clear that it has to be an asset, it's okay. But if there's any chance of it being seen as a B, don't use it. <laughs> Would you use it yourself? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Because it looks like a B. And I am a friend of disambiguating and not uh, making it more complex or complicated. This ambiguity might only arise for native speakers of German in the context of uppercase letters. But for non-native speakers, even the lowercase sz can cause some issues. The sz is very distinctive and recognizably German. But because it can't be found in any other known language, people who don't speak German often have a hard time with it and might not know how to pronounce it when they first see it. When friends or family of mine have come to visit me in Vienna, they would often try to read out the German words they see on signs and posters. Because there is no English equivalent of the Schaffer's S, the closest thing it looks like is a capital B. So they would often say things like Strebe instead of Straße. Some learners might be put off learning a language that uses unfamiliar letters. Does the SZ make German appear more difficult to learn? No, I don't think it's, uh, it makes it unattainable or unlearnable. There are very distinct rules of where to use the SZ. And I think once you know when to use it, it's okay. I think the difficult part of it is that there are realizations of the S, well, for the S sound, actually, for the sharp S, for the unvoiced S, there's a single S and a double S. And then there's the S set. <laughs> so it's actually three realizations. So if we have a single S and a double S, why do we actually need a third form? We don't need it. But then with the orthography reform, it was actually debated if we should get rid of the S set or if it has sense <laughs> to keep it. And um, I don't quite remember what rules there were before that. But there were different rules. And I think they are now much clearer of when to use a sharp S. Since the spelling reform in the 90s, it's easier to know when to use the SZ and when to use an S or a double S instead. Firstly, at the start of a word or a syllable, you would use a single S. You would never see a German word start with a double S or an SZ. But what about at the end of a word or a syllable? You would use the, the SZ if you have a long vowel. So like in Fuß, you would use the SZ. Then you have the Fluss and you would use SS. And before the reform, you would write Fluss with an SZ as well. So um, now with the new rules, with the rules after the reform, it's clear that you only use the SZ after a long vowel. In this way, you have words like Schoß which is your lap, which are written with a Schaffer's S because the vowel is long. But then you have Schoss, the past tense of Schießen, to shoot. Because it has a short vowel, Schoss is written with a double S, not a Schaffer's S. 
This is a pretty straightforward rule that learners can stick to in order to make it easier to get to grips with this letter. Still, despite this, the other problems don't go away. There's still the issue that most keyboards don't include the Schaffer's S, and even keyboards in the German-speaking world don't include the capital Schaffer's S. There's the issue of ambiguity with the letter B, and the confusion surrounding what to do when writing in all caps. These aren't problems in every German-speaking country, though. In Switzerland, actually, there used to be an SZ, but I think it was some decades ago that they got rid of it. <laughs> they decided they don't want it anymore in their German. It is used in Germany and Austria. Uh, it is not used in Switzerland anymore. They have abolished it. Um, maybe they decided so because it's not very international. As you know, <laughs> it's one letter that only exists in German. And as you see, it doesn't exist in all of the countries where German is spoken. In other places where German is an official language, like East Belgium or South Tyrol in Italy, you will still see the Schaffer's S being used, according to the rules followed in Austria and Germany, though. So what does the future hold for the SZ in the places where it is still used? There's always a chance the SZ will be abolished, but actually I don't see that in the nearer future because um, the reform is only, well, 24 years ago now, and they have decided to keep it, to make rules about it that are actually learnable. <laughs> and I don't think that they will go and get rid of it in the near future. So it has a long, long history. It does not make sense in every context, but I don't think that will be abolished quite soon. Thank you so much to Frauke Rüdebusch for coming back and joining me for this episode. As I mentioned last time, you can check out her work and her articles by visiting the website of the Gesellschaft für Deutsche Sprache, gfds.de. I will also put some information and links on the podcast website, yellowofftheegg.com, so definitely check that out. As always, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Instagram at yotepodcast, that's Y-O-T-E podcast, or you can send me an email at yellowofftheegg.podcast at gmail.com. And of course, as always, I'd be over the moon if you could share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and give it a five-star rating and review. That would really help boost the podcast. I really appreciate it. So with all that being said, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, macht's es gut. Servus aus Wien. <laughs>